0: Hi, good evening. I don't know what the greeting for Monday Thursday is. Happy Monday Thursday sounds weird, but okay. Happy Monday Thursday. So this past semester, my small group read a book about the Trinity, written in the the 12th century, I think, uh, by a monastic in Paris by the name of Richard of Saint Victor. And in the intro to the book, which we all kind of struggled with at times, Richard says that we get knowledge three ways. Knowledge by reason, knowledge by experience, and knowledge by faith. And we in the group thought that might be right. We couldn't think of any others. But if you think of any more, let me know. And these aren't in isolation. You can get knowledge two or three of the ways. So up until just last week, I had been working from home full time since March of 2020, and it's still mostly from home. We started going back like one day a week, we'll see how it goes. And all of us adjusted in some way or other, and I'm sure a lot of people here have had the same experience. But we started working earlier, or later, or in your pajamas, or squeezing a workout in the middle of the day. It was really easy to always be available though, because your computer is right there. And the lines between home and work got fuzzy, but it did allow me to travel. I don't have children, but I noticed that it was pretty common for my colleagues who did have children to sign off no later than five and to maybe sign back on if they needed to sometime around like seven or eight. And I know that the reason for this is dinner and bedtime but a couple of months ago i went to visit my sister who has 3 kids two of them very young and i was going there to i was going to work from her house and just spend time with her and her kids and help out with dinner and bedtime and i found myself doing exactly the same thing that my colleagues with kids did i would sign off at 5 and sign back on later and i had this moment of like oh i get it now i get what your experience is like and it's not that i didn't believe them before or that I didn't like make rational sense to me but until I experienced it I didn't totally understand and I I know this has probably happened to me in other ways and maybe to you too or not until you do something does it click do you get it in a way that you couldn't have understood it before so here we are at the end of Lent as the start of the triduum three days between now and Easter and in theory at least we've spent six weeks fasting and praying and as the culmination of this holy season begins lest we get too lofty we are met with feet and wine and bread and really specific instructions on killing a lamb so I wonder if Maundy Thursday is a knowledge by experience kind of day, and if it has something to teach us that we can't learn any other way. And we have these events in the passages that were read of the Passover and of Jesus's last supper before his death, and of foot washing, and events that get reenacted in some form over and over, over the years, centuries, millennia, precisely reenacted, not just retold, because we have to enter these events with our bodies and not just our minds. And there's a difference between thinking about something and doing it. But the, reactions aren't, the re-enact, reenactments aren't quite the same because our feet aren't as dusty as they probably would have been if we got around the desert, primarily on foot in sandals. And no one is recommending that we paint our doorposts with lamb's blood. Please don't do that. But at least for me, there's a risk of revisiting the same story many times, that things get overly familiar. And I think I understand the point of the story. And I stop being curious about it. But these events are strange. And I don't want them to lose their strangeness. I think the weirdness of these things is part of the experience. And St. Augustine said, if you understand, it isn't God. So I wonder if you would spend a few minutes with me, looking at some of the strangeness of the first Passover and of Jesus' washing of feet and just letting them be strange. Maybe forget for a while the symbolism that you might have learned to attach to these things. Maybe forget the explanations that you've heard Just look and ask and wonder. How would these events strike me if I was there and I had no idea what was going to happen? Okay, so the first Passover. They're in Egypt and God tells Moses and Aaron that he's changing the calendar and this is now the first month and they're to tell all the people that they should go get a lamb on the 10th day unless their household is too small, in which case team up with the neighbors and then you keep it until the 14th day, and then everyone goes out at twilight and slaughters the lamb. And then there's some very specific instructions on how to cook and eat the lamb, and there's this thing with the blood and the doorposts. And these instructions are so strange. Why do they do all this? The slaughter at midnight, the cooking just so, the blood kind of sounds like the makings of a magic spell. But if God can make water come out of a rock and bread rain down from heaven, and just in the previous plagues, he could surely tell the difference between houses. Why did he require this? I don't really know. And I think we can have some explanations, but I don't know that we'll totally understand. I read an observation from a 17th century rabbi that these are the first commandments addressed to Israelites as a people, that other commandments were to individuals passed down through families. But this one is to all of Israel. So they're told all together, do these things. What must that have been like? One part I find especially curious is the four days from getting the lamb to the slaughter. I had never paid attention to this before that they're instructed to get the lamb on the 10th and then keep it until the 14th. And they weren't asked to do this again. This doesn't show up in later instructions for how to observe the Passover. So why? What would it be like to keep a lamb with you for four days? Does it have something to do with having to live a promise for four days? Something to do about living with and taking care of something that they'll eat? I've read a few different ideas in Jewish commentary on the reasons for the four days, and one I thought was intriguing was that it might have given time for the Egyptians to ask questions. Say, Israelites, what y'all doing with all those lambs? <laughs> oh, your God is going to send another plague worse than all the others. Huh. Maybe it would give them one last chance to repent. Maybe the four days were for the Egyptians or maybe something else specific to them being in Egypt. We can't really know. It's not explained. They're just told to do it. This dinner and the preparation for it took place as night was falling. And there's darkness and death in the air. The plague right before this was the darkness one, And there had been plenty of disease and desolation in Egypt already. And the people would go out from this meal into fleeing from the Egyptians, and to what seemed to be a very unknown and unsettled future. And then, a very long time later, but around the same time of year, we have another dinner where Jesus washes his friend's feet. And the chronology of when this dinner took place is a little unclear. It might have been the first night of Passover. It might have been the night before. John's Gospel seems to be the day before Passover, around that time. And the text says he got up during supper, Maybe they had already had their feet washed once. That would have been typical to have someone wash their feet when they entered. Or maybe no one was there to do it when they arrived. Either way, it seems a little odd for Jesus to do it and for him to do it at that moment. To me, this all seems uncomfortable and awkward. Feet are what they are. I can't imagine they would have been any more pleasant then. Afflicted with all sorts of problems. What can you expect, though, from something that carries us around all day and connects us to the ground? Maybe more back then than now. And I don't know how these people would have felt, really, about having their feet seen and touched and washed by someone whose opinion they valued. I don't know if they would have been embarrassed in the way we might. Maybe. But it's pretty clear that foot washing is not an exalted task to perform. It was most typically carried out by a servant or a slave or for a man by his wife. But this is what Jesus chooses to do, and he seems pretty insistent on it. The account says they didn't understand, or at least Peter didn't, but probably all were confused. For me, this story is now so familiar, and I can almost get a little smug thinking I understand where the disciples didn't. But what would have this been like to sit through? So Jesus is getting up in the middle of dinner, which is an odd choice to me. If you didn't do it beforehand, couldn't you just wait till it's over when the food touching part was done? <laughs> but he gets up in the middle. And then does he go back and break the bread? I don't know. And then he has this part about unless I wash you, you have no share with me. What could this mean? He goes on to tell Peter that he's already clean, so what is happening here? I don't know, but he tells Peter that he will understand later. I wonder when Peter did, and what it was that he understood. How did this experience change each of them, maybe each in their own way, and maybe in ways they couldn't adequately explain later? This meal too is taking place under the shadow of darkness. The 30 pieces of silver have already been paid and there's a sense of unrest in the city. And from here, Jesus and Judas and all of the disciples will go out into darkness. And from the text, it seems clear that Jesus knows what is gonna happen tomorrow. He knows it's the end. But what does he do as he's gathered with his friends? He doesn't give a stirring once more into the breach kind of speech. He doesn't perform any miracles. Instead, he does a domestic task. And he tells his friends that they should continue to do domestic tasks for each other. And there's this phrase at the beginning of the passage in John that he loved them to the end. And I wonder if this seemed like love to them at the time or later or if it changed their own understanding and expression of love. For both of these stories, they would eat this meal, the Passover lamb, the last piece of bread, and they might not have had a chance to eat again for a while. This is the food that would sustain them into the night ahead, into fleeing from the Egyptians, and into whatever the next day held. There is an old and pretty severe tradition of fasting from all food from tonight until Easter. That the communion that you eat tonight is the last food that you eat until communion at the celebration of Easter. And there's another also old tradition of fasting fully, Good Friday. But either way, or if a complete fast is not in your future, I think we all go out from here into some sort of darkness. The sun will have set by the time we leave. There might be other kinds of darkness that we're going into. And there's a liturgical darkness and stillness over the next two days. So I wonder if for the next couple of days we didn't try to understand, that we didn't try to control how we reacted to these stories or to however we might or might not sense God's presence. And maybe we don't even try to believe. We just go along for the ride. But there is nothing more to do other than to receive the love that is offered in all the ways that it is offered as friendship, gift, service, sacrifice, heartache, waiting, joy, and in whatever way each of us honestly experiences it and see where it takes us.